Hello and welcome to Hugenhoff Podcast episode 123. Today we're going to be going over the Edda, but before I get into that, I want to quickly do my station news. If you want to check out my website, feel free to do so at hugenhoff.org. That's H-E-G-I-N-H-O-F.org. And while you are there, subscribe to the RSS on the podcast page. Also, check out Steve's stuff, Stephen Oaks at amazon.com he's got some books or just follow the link in the show notes probably the easiest way to do it all right so i'm kind of rebooting a series today um steve and i had been going over the edits for a while and then we stopped doing that because he stopped being on the show just because our schedules are literally opposite right now so it's even difficult for us to get together for blow but we're still doing that it's just hard to find time to get together to do this podcast and quite honestly i don't think either of our schedules are going to change so i don't think he's going to come back anytime soon and i never finish the edits and i want to because there's a lot of good information in this book so that is actually what i'm going to do today before i jump into it i want to go over a couple of things first of all this is not the poetic edits this is the edits so the poetic edits i have already gone over that's my favorite it's got the the Saints of Hard, it's got the Valsapa, it's got some other stuff. It's like straight up just Norse mythology explained. This one's a little different. It's got a bit of a story going on where it's uh, Gilfie talking to the Three High Ones, um, and then he's learning all that stuff through these conversations back and forth that he's having, these pieces of lore being dropped. They're both good. There's a lot of stories in the Edda that don't happen in the Poetic Eddas, and also... Conversely, there's a lot of stories of the poetic Eddas that don't happen in the Eddas. So I would say like required reading for anyone who's also true or interested in Norse mythology are the poetic Eddas and the Eddas. So this that I'm reading today, these two things are like the things you need to read. Something I wanted to say, there's lots of translations. We've talked in the past about sometimes different translations being different. I think they're pretty, you're going to have the same overall feel but maybe you'll interpret different things because of different translations so everyone knows i'm reading the the edda by snorri sturluson it's the everyman edda um which is the like the company publisher and it is translated by anthony falks so i'm reading this one because i've seen it in a lot of bookstores and i think it's probably the easiest to find now sacred text does have a copy of it so feel free to follow along in there um but this is the one that i am reading the edda by snorri sturluson translated by anthony falks so i think it's a pretty easy one to find so just a little bit before i jump in uh so there's this whole conversation we can have about sacred texts and i recorded something but then i didn't like it it's kind of a complicated conversation i'm going to do the quickest most concise explanation that i can the idea is when you read a book if you treat it as a sacred text you go in with the idea that it's true you're like this book is 100 true there are no contradictions in it it is right this was written by the gods like snorri sturluson was a conduit for the gods and they wrote through his hands you know that's how a true sacred text would be i don't think this is actually sacred text i don't think it works like that that's a little bit too far um i think there is a reasonable argument that as snorri was putting all these books together 
so so what this is is probably a collection of stories that Snorri is referencing here. And I think there's a reasonable argument that as Snorri was putting all these together, the gods suddenly influenced him to keep the parts in that were right and drop the parts that were not right and not add anything of his own that was detrimental to the meaning. So I don't think that's ridiculous to think that the gods have some sort of influence on the world and could make that happen. I also don't know if I really believe in sacred texts, but what I do think is useful about the sacred text idea is if you go in reading this book, assuming everything in it is correct and there are no internal contradictions that can be a useful way to read the book and I do think you can read this and say there are no internal contradictions and there are no contradictions between this and the poetic Eddas and all of the big things like um like the big points like autonomy is important knowledge is good stagnation is bad this never contradicts those points and I do think that going in with the idea that there are no internal contradictions and everything in this book is right can be useful because then you are reading the book as if it's right and then when you see something that seems like a contradiction instead of being like oh the book is dumb I'm not going to think about that instead you say no no I said the book was right in every way and it can't be wrong so I'm going to do the mental exercise of understanding why this isn't a contradiction understanding this big principle let's say it's autonomy this big principle of autonomy how is that not being violated here what is autonomy what is not autonomy stuff like that and those are good conversations to have and that's why sometimes I think it's useful to go in and read the book as if it was a sacred text uh, and and there'll be things come up from here to there from here now and again where this becomes more obvious I'm like okay this is a this is something that looks like a contradiction let's think about why it's not and if it is or is not really a contradiction is almost less important than the fact that you went through the mental exercise to really understand what would be a violation of this and what would constitute a contradiction in what won it because when you're doing that then you're also thinking like and what would the God say so if you use this that way of reading a book along with working with the gods I think you can really learn a lot about yourself and let yourself be inspired by the gods because you're not going in saying this is false you're going in saying this is true and then you kind of have to make that work which makes you think and really think about your principles because what you really want to happen is you want your base principles to be challenged you're like oh this looks like a contradiction um, so what if I change my base principles my thoughts on morality to let this be okay then you start really thinking can can my thoughts on morality change in what ways can't they change in what ways are they wrong in what ways are they right so so reading it as if it's completely right and then and, and then going through the mental exercise of saying like okay and here is how it's right or or maybe no this is just wrong there's no way to say this is right that's a useful exercise because you always want to be um, challenging yourself but also to the idea of sacred texts like first of all this is a collection of stories or at least the things being talked about were stories that Snorri had heard um, 
So for that reason, it's kind of hard to say it's a sacred text. And, and, and also, I think it's important to remember that Snorri was arguably Christian. I do say arguably because he is pretty generous to the gods. He seems to treat them with respect, and he's not trying to destroy or hide the lore. He's trying to preserve it. And I've heard this argument, which I don't think is ridiculous that secretly he's also true, because you had to say you were Christian in, in this time period that he was living, or you'd just be killed. So there's an argument that secretly he's Austro, and he just said he was Christian, so he didn't get killed, and that's why he, like, wrote this. And if you believe that, you could say, like, oh, and obviously he was inspired by the gods, so this book is the word of the gods. I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if sacred texts are really healthy to believe that literally, because it, it sometimes is used to give people an excuse to do things maybe they shouldn't. So I'm not saying I believe this is a sacred text. What I am saying is taking this from the perspective, it's a sacred text and everything in this book is true, is a really interesting thing to do. And you know it doesn't even have to be with this book or even religious books. You could do this with, I mean you can't do it with like a romance novel or some really crappy book that isn't saying anything and they didn't put a lot of care in the writing. But like you could do this with a philosophy book. 100% you could read Plato's Republic as if it was right. And because it's Plato, he probably doesn't have any contradictions in there because he was a philosopher and that was his thing. He was all about contradictions are bad. Um, but you can do that with other things. I saw an interesting reading of uh, Homer's Odyssey saying that if you really looked at everything it was saying, it was like mirroring Plato's Republic, um, I think. It was called The Bow and the Lair. It's an interesting book. It has nothing to do with Norse mythology. It was a reading of the Odyssey as a philosophy book. But it did a lot of things where that I'm talking about where the first assumption is this book is right. There are no mistakes. If it looks like a mistake, it's not a mistake. It was put there on purpose. You just have to find out what that purpose is. So it's it's useful to read that book or it's useful to read books like that because it really makes you think like well let's just assume it's right and see if we can make it work um anyway i think that's all the uh preamble i don't know if that's the right word i think that's all the introductory stuff i don't think we're going to get terribly far in this today because i did do the introduction stuff but i did want to go ahead and start this because I do think this is a really good book. Um, I am starting over. I'm not picking up where we left off because I think it's a very different dynamic when you're doing a single person versus two people. And I really like the two person dynamic, but the single person dynamic has um, things I like too. But I don't think you can mix and match them. Uh, this has pretty much been how I've done everything. If I started on my own, I finish it on my own. If I start it with a guest, I keep doing it with a guest cannot control a guest, so I can't get, promise I'll finish it with them, but because I'm restarting this and rebooting this um, series, I'm going to start over, and then I will, I may have a break where I go back to the Inspired by the God series, I don't know, or I may have a break for some other thing, I don't know, but the vast majority of what we do is going to be this now, because I kind of want to read this entire book and get through it. So, last time before I jump in, this is the Edda by Snorri Sturluson, translated by Anthony Fox, and is the Everyman Edda. Um, should be one of the easier ones to find. So, 
let's open it up. I'm not going to read the prologue because that seems a silly thing to do. Alright, the other uh, Gilfaginning or the tricking of Gilfe. So if you weren't here for the last one, I basically just read and then go over what I read and see if anything's you know, kind of say what I think about it. So so sometimes when the book is um, just giving us good information, it'll be a lot of me just reading. But then there will be many times, and this is on purpose, where I come across something interesting. I just go on a tangent. It's like the whole show is just a tangent. But that's what's good about reading these books is they can like make you think about stuff and send you on those tangents. Okay, here we go. King was, whoops, King Gilfie was ruler in what is now called Sweden. Of him it is said that he gave a certain vagrant woman as a reward for his entertainment one plowland in his kingdom, as much as four oxen could plow up in a day and a night. Now this woman was one of the race of the Aesir. Oh, so this is actually talking about a story right now. You you may have heard it, but let's continue. Her name was Geffen. She took four oxen from the north from giant land the sons of her and a certain giant, and put them before the plow. But the plow cut so hard and deep that it uprooted the land, and the oxen drew the land out into the sea to the west and halted in a certain sound. There Giffen put the land and gave it a name and called it Zealand, where the land had been lifted from there remains remained a lake. This is now called Lake Malar in Sweden, and the inlet of the lake corresponds to the headland of Zealand. Thus says the poet Braggy the Old. Alright, so this is going to be the quote from Braggy the Old, and I just want to take this time to mention Braggy. We all know the god Braggy. Um, there's a lot of poets called Braggy too, because Braggy was a god of poetry, so it makes sense for a poetic person to take that name or conversely it would make sense for a person named Braggy to become poetic depending on how much a person is influenced by their name but you'll you'll see that come up a lot where there is a Braggy and they're talking about a poet sometimes it's legitimately confusing I don't know which is which but this is sort of one of those beginning of the world, N not the world in this case, myths, but it's talking about um, like the creation of this lake in Sweden. So these are always stories that I think are fun, but always stories I think we need to be cautious with because this is not actually how they think that lake in Sweden was created. They're using the lake in Sweden as a jumping off point or a story hook to tell uh this story, this piece of mythology. So uh, I think the simplest one is the idea of Thor. You will hear many times because um, thunder is the sound of Thor hitting his hammer. And you'll hear hit many times people say, oh, well, our ancestors didn't understand where thunder came from. So they thought it came from Thor hitting something with his hammer. And I don't believe that's true. I believe that's backwards. I believe that it's hard to describe to people how powerful Thor's hammer is, but people have experienced thunder. So if you say, oh, okay, 
when you hear thunder you know you know that like strong vibration that like just powerful it's a sound it's a feeling because you know thunder like you feel the thunder if it's close you're like thunder that's that that's the power on thor's hammer so when they say thor's thunder is this is the sound that thor's hammer is making it's using thunder something we know and have experience with to explain Thor's hammer, something we don't know and don't have direct experience with. It, it, they're not actually, they're not saying, no, literally thunder comes from Thor's hammer. They're saying, allegorically, I don't know if that's the right word, but like mythologically, thunder comes from Thor's hammer because we understand thunder and that's a way to understand Thor's hammer. So, I just want to throw that out here. All right, anyway, to what Braggy the Old said. Gafen drew from Gilling, glad a deep ring of land, the island of Zealand, so that from the swift puller, swift pullers, oxen, steam rose, Denmark's extension. The oxen wore eight brows, the oxen wore eight brow stars, eyes as they went hauling their plunder the wide island of meadows and foreheads okay so i love kennings i think they're so cool i never remember any and i'd be terrible at making them myself i've made a couple just for fun i love kennings kennings are and i think i've said this but i'll say it again kennings are like a poetic way to refer to something um, so you don't want to just say some boring old word. So you say some cool poetic way to refer to it. And sometimes you have to understand the lore to understand the kenning, which is neat too, because it's almost got this like secret club feel to it. But there are some kennings in there. Um, uh, swift pullers, when they said swift pullers, from the context of the story, you know that's the oxen because they were pulling things quickly. I don't know if that's a kenning and sort of borderline, but here's a real good kenning. It says the oxen wore eight brow stars, and that means eyes. Brow stars mean eyes because, you know, your brow or your forehead, I head, whatever. Brow stars, what would a star on your head be? Well, that would be your eyes because, I don't know, they're kind of sparkly like a star would be. They're... They're like the big prominent thing on your face. So the kinning brow stars means eyes. And I just think that's cool. And and I read what was in the parentheses, but when you read the original, you wouldn't do that. You just say, the oxen wore eight brow stars as they went hauling their plunder. And that's kind of cool because it it sounds cooler than the oxen had eight eyes as they went hauling their plunder. It's like, that's that's a lot more clear, honestly. But it's not as cool like brow stars. That's just cool. And so another thing I should say, a lot of what Snorri was doing with this, from my understanding, was sort of giving an example of poetry. Like he was teaching other people how to praise kings, how to write good poetry, and kinnings were an example. So there's a lot of like kinnings and stuff in here. And the reason is this is supposed to be, this This wasn't really made for people who are Austro 2000, like a thousand years later or whatever. This was made for people of the time to learn poetry, and he was using the source the source material of the Norse myths 
to give them examples of how to write good poetry. So there'll be a lot of Kenyans in there, which I like because Kenyans were popular back in the day, and I I wish they'd come back. Um, if I was a if I was more of a poet, I would definitely use Kenyans. Okay, so again, this particular story, besides the things of Kenyans, I don't have anything huge to say, so I'm going to go on. Um, King Gilfi King Gilfi was clever and skilled in magic. So here's another thing I will stop and say. I like the idea that a lot of kings in these stories were skilled in magic. Eagle from Eagle Saga was said to be skilled in magic. Like magic was really just an everyday part of life back then. I like the idea that it was an everyday part of life. I think I think that's cool. I think we sh I would love to get back to there. And again, this isn't the kind of magic where you like shoot fireballs from your hands. Like it's not TV magic or D&D magic. I love D&D magic. I always play a wizard. But that's not how magic looks. That's not how magic works. This is talking about real magic that you can really do. But I do think it's cool that like just on a day-to-day -day basis, especially the kings, but lots of people just like new magic. So this is an example of that, which I think is cool. All right. And yeah. King Gelfi was clever and skilled in magic. He was quite amazed that the Azir people had the ability to make everything go in accordance with their will. He wondered whether this could be a result of their own nature or whether the divine powers they worship could be responsible. He set out to Asgard and traveled in secret and assumed the form of an old man and so disguised himself. But the Azer were the wiser in that they had the gift of prophecy and they saw his movement before he arrived and prepared deceptive appearances for him. When he got into the city, he saw there a, hot, he saw there a high hall so that he could scarcely see over it. Its roof was covered with gilded shields like tiles. Theodolf of Hivinir refers thus to Valhog being, roof, being roofed with shields. Okay. Um, so in this story, this guy, Gilfi, is seeing something the Aesir do and actually going to Asgard. So this is sort of like Asgard, in, in this story, Asgard is like a physical place that you can physically travel to. And that's kind of what he's doing. So he's going to, he's going to go to Valhall. He's going to go to Asgard and and see things. So that's sort of what's going on here. So on one argument, that's like, you'd say like, well, this is why it's not a sacred text because Asgard is a, is a realm and we know it is up. We know that Midgard is where we are and Asgard is the realm above us. So this isn't a sacred text. We can throw it out and just read the poetic goddess. Maybe and this is where the reading it as if it were true gets interesting. We could say like, well, um, I, I guess we could say like, oh, well, actually Asgard is a physical place. And when I was talking about the world tree, that meant the world and Asgard is to the north. There's a theory about that. You could say that. Um, what I do think is interesting here, though, is let's he set out to Asgard and traveled in secret and assumed the form of an old man and so disguised himself. 
who does that remind us of somebody seeking the form of an old man and disguising themselves to go get information from a foreign land that is 100% Odin that is what Odin is constantly doing he's traveling to the earth disguised as a human he's traveling to Jotunheim disguised as a traveler there are so many stories where he's disguised now I'm not saying this is what it's saying but I am saying Here's something to think about because it's interesting, and this is why I like reading it as if it were true. Gilfi wants to go to Asgard. Gilfi wants to talk with the gods. How do you do that? How do you talk to the gods if they're in Asgard and you're in Midgard? Well, you disguise yourself as an old man and you wear a cloak. Okay, what? You understand Odin. You act as Odin acts and you emulate Odin because that's what he's doing right he's disguising himself as an old man and going traveling just like Odin always does so the way to reach the gods is to emulate the gods and use that emulation and specifically of Odin who is a god of knowledge and a god of magic if you can emulate Odin in the sense that like you do the type of things Odin would, sort of, but also you use magic like Odin does. Oh, and also, keep up, keep in mind up here, King Gelfi was clever and skilled in magic. Never said, why did it say that? That's not relevant, unless you look at the fact that later he starts acting like Odin. So maybe this is saying the way that you get to Asgard is by using Odin and emulating the gods to get yourself to Asgard. Uh, let's see. Okay, and then it says he set out to Asgard, traveled in secret and assumed the form, all of that. So when it says he set out to Asgard, it doesn't mean he set out to the the physical place that was Asgard, which is what I think the first reading implies. It says he set out to actual Asgard by using magic and emulating the gods. He astrally traveled, whatever word you use, he traveled up the tree to actual Asgard to talk with them. But then it gives this extra warning here, the Aesir were wiser in that they had the gift of prophecy and they saw his movement before he arrived. So maybe that's a warning like, yes, you can go to Asgard. Yes, you can talk to the gods, but don't think you can one-up them. Don't think you can trick them because that's not how it works. The gods are still more experienced and wiser and things like this than you. Um, gosh, it's almost half an hour already, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap up. That is a great example, and I'm glad it came in this episode since I just talked about it. That's a great example of why I like reading these books as if they were literally um, correct because when you do that you have an interesting idea come up like is this book trying to tell you the the way to get to Asgard I don't know maybe or maybe not but regardless I do think that is how you would want to get to Asgard you would have to you would have to learn magic whatever that means before you do that and actually, I'm at the very bottom of the page, and I don't want to end at the very bottom of the page, so I lied. I'm doing one more sentence. Okay, it said, Theodolf of Hivnir reversed us to Valhall, being 
being roofed with shields. On their backs they let shine. They were bombarded with stones. Zip, Z Zvafnir, Odin's hall shield, shields those sensible men. Um, and I'll pick up there next time. Two more kinnings. Hall shingles are shields in this case. But this is this is getting into the description of what Valhalla looks like. Valhalla. Um, they called it Valhalla. But this is getting into like what Valhalla is going to look like thatched with shields and stuff, which we've heard in the Poetic Edits, I believe. So we'll pick it up there next time, next month that is. Um, thank you everybody for listening. Hopefully this was good. I think it'll be fun to have a change of pace and I get a nice thing to track. See, it's nice to see progress being made like we're on page 8. We have to get to page... Oh my gosh. There's a lot of stuff. Uh, I don't know what we have to get to. Page 223? So, like, there's a, there's a whole awful lot of pages to get through here. Um, but it, it's kind of fun to move through a book. I think, and to see that progress being made. I've always loved books. You know, that is something that I miss about physical books, which I, I have some physical books. This is a physical book, but most of the books I read are on Kindle just for convenience. I miss seeing the bookmark get further and further into the book. And like my Kindle says, oh, 57% complete. It's not the same. I, I really do miss that bookmark moving through the book. I think that's a cool thing that you lose with the Kindle. Anyway, um, I love physical books, uh, but man, the Kindle's convenient. Uh, so that was a complete tangent. So let me wrap up by quickly saying, if you haven't read the Eddas, go out and read it. It's a really good book. Snorri Sturluson, Edda, and you should 100% read the Eddas and then the Poetic Eddas. Those are the must-reads for Norse mythology or Austro in general. So... Uh, we'll pick this up next time. Keep going over different things. I don't know how long this series is going to take. It's it's a long book, and I'm saying things as I go, so it might be a while. But um, yeah, yeah. Next month we'll pick up where we left off. I want to thank everybody very much for listening. Hope you got something out of it. Uh, just a reminder: if you want to go to my website, you can. That is hugenhoff.org. That's h-u-g-i-n-h-o-f.org org uh yeah subscribe to the rss while you're there because my podcasts never go out on time but i always release one a month uh so yeah just subscribe to the rss and then you will get it as soon as it is released thank you so much for listening and i will talk to you next month for a hell <laughs>